Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity to get to study and look into the Word of God. Thankful that the Lord's provided us this opportunity through the riches of His mercy and grace. We're certainly thankful to be saved and plucked as brands from the burning, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear Son of God. Uh, we're thankful for each one of you. I hope that the Lord has blessed you this last week and Hope he continues to bless you this week. Hope you have wonderful services tonight at the house of the Lord if you're listening on the morning that it comes out. And uh, If you'd like to look with us, uh, if you're in a place that you can, we've been in 1 Kings chapter number 22 where we left off last time in our study of Elijah and Elisha. And again, uh, this chapter does not mention Elijah and Elisha but is significant because Ahab, who since Elijah walked onto the pages of Scripture, Ahab has been his enemy in the Lord, in the Word of God. He's been his opposer and enemy. And so we're going to see Ahab to die in this chapter. And we're right there. That's where we'll pick up today. But just for a minute, we'll review and look uh, at what we've already covered leading up to this. Of course, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, has come and he and Ahab are going to form an alliance to go to war against Syria. And uh, we won't rehash all of the false prophets and Ahab's message uh, that he got from them, encouraging him to go, and how that Jehoshaphat sought after a man of God, and Micaiah came and he prophesied that Ahab was going to die in the battle and they put him in prison and rejected his counsel and they went off to war. But Ahab, in some sort of preparation for this battle, uh, and this is where we left off, Jehoshaphat was dressed in his king's robes and his king's clothes and Ahab disguised himself by the word of God and dressed up like a regular soldier. And Ahab thought, well, if they're going to kill me, I'm going to be disguised, and they won't be able to do that. And you know, it really in the heart of man today, that thought is still very prevalent. Man thinks he's able to disguise himself amongst the church and amongst the people of God, and that the judgment of the Lord will not find them out. But as we see here, Ahab's plot and Ahab's disguise was not sufficient to keep him from the judgment of God. And all through the scripture, you'll find that to be the case. Never is man able to escape the judgment of God in any way other than God's prescribed method of mercy and salvation. There is, there is no disguise. There is no act. There's no hypocrisy, which that word just means an actor putting on a part, playing a part. There's no hypocrisy that's able to fool the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing God Almighty. And so Ahab, he is disguised and he's went out to battle. And right where we left off, uh, Syria, the king of Syria, had commanded his captains you find Ahab and you kill him. Don't battle with great nor small. 
When you see the king, you drop everything and that's who you go after. And so when they come to battle, they see Jehoshaphat who is dressed as a king and they assume that this is Ahab and the captains and the army, they they seek and they pursue after Jehoshaphat and he flees from their presence and it looks as if that the battle's getting tied around him. They're about to get him. And Jehoshaphat cries out, and you can say it however you want to say it, but God enlightened the eyes of the Syrians to see that that was not Ahab, and they left from pursuing him. So God spared Jehoshaphat's life in the battle right here. And now in verse 34, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture, and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. So Ahab now, dressed as a regular soldier, he's got his armor on, and in that day armor was often made out of sheets of metal, but they had joints in that armor that would allow for some flexibility so that he could move. If it was a solid piece of metal, he wouldn't be able to move anything. But they had these joints placed in of some soft and flexible material so that they would be able to fight. And he's out here in his armor, dressed as a regular soldier, and he's in a chariot. And this chariot, that's something that they commonly used in battle in that day. And he's in his chariot, and uh, an unnamed soldier, not a captain, not a general, not a leader, not a mighty man of valor, not a king, not someone important, but just an unnamed soldier in the Syrian army at a venture. He's out at a distance. Uh, it's not a up close and personal shot, but he's at a distance in between and he draws his bow and fires doesn't look like he's got any target in mind. But you know, as you put yourself in these battles, you've got the host of the enemy before you. You're just drawing your bow and shooting towards them, seeking to hit and to find, uh, 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 to, to hit an enemy and to strike one down. So he draws his bow at a venture and fires. And almighty God, you know, I, I don't know, how else you could say it? But God's going to direct the arrow fired from this unnamed soldier and it's going to go into one of the joints of Ahab's armor. He may have been leaned one way or another. I don't know exactly how that went, but I know that there was a joint that was exposed and there God put the arrow from this soldier that was going to take Ahab's life so that the armor and the disguise and the chariot and maybe he wasn't even in a place where the battle was heated. None of that mattered when it come time for the judgment of God. God found him out and God slayed him just exactly like he said that he was going to. And you know, you think now Ahab despised Micaiah because of his prophecy against him. He said he always speaks evil. And we said as we were looking there, if I'm always going to be contrary to the word of God in my living and manner of life, then it shouldn't be a surprise that the word of God in its judgments is going to be contrary to me. And so uh, uh, he hated Micaiah because of his prophecy. But you look here now 
at which message really was loving and which one was hateful. Man enjoys the lie. He likes to be encouraged. He likes a pat on the back. He likes to be told he's all right. He likes to be told that he's going to heaven. And Ahab was encouraged. He was told a lie. And that lie that those false prophets told him, that led him right into his own death right here in his chariot. That brought the arrow into Ahab and destroyed him. And the warning of Micaiah, now sure, it was evil against him. He was saying, Ahab, if you go, you're going to die. But at least in that word of God, there was a warning that Ahab could turn, repent, and his life be spared in this battle. So really, the word of God, that's the loving message, the warning of judgment that lies ahead. That's the loving message, though man hates it and despises it today. And so Ahab's going to be smote. And he says to the driver of his chariot, get me out of here, carry me out of the host, for I'm wounded. He had an arrow in him, and whether he left it in him or he pulled it out, I don't know, but the battle increased that day. Now, the the warfare is going on out here, and this chariot driver, uh, it looks like maybe the battle got so hot and heated that he was unable to get out of the host here. He's unable to get that chariot out of the midst of the battle. God's going to heat the battle up around him. There's going to be no escape, and Ahab is going to bleed to death there in that chariot. His blood's going to run out. The battle increased, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even, and the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. So this chariot most likely a two-wheeled cart behind a horse, and there his blood is running out all inside of that, and you can imagine the mess that was there. But uh, the Bible says that in verse 36, and there went a proclamation throughout the host about the going down of the sun, saying, every man to his city, and every man to his own country. So if you remember now, Micaiah prophesied that he foresaw the Israelites out on the hills wandering as sheep without a shepherd. And what he was saying was that they're going to go to battle and go to war. The king's going to be slain and they're going to be, they're going to be aimless out there and they're going to come back to their homes and Ahab's going to die. And that is exactly what happens. The proclamation goes out. The king's dead. He's gone. Everybody go back home. And here is Israel. They're out on their own. And they're out there with no king, no leader. And, and they're out there as sheep without a shepherd. And they're they're heading back home now. And so uh, let's look now as we look in verse 37. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and one washed the chariot out in the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood and they washed his armor according to the word of the Lord which he spake. Now this is a portion of Elijah's prophecy coming true. Now I realize here that Ahab's blood is not going to be licked up by the dogs 
in Naboth's vineyard. <clears throat> they're going to drive this cart back to Samaria, and there they're going to wash Ahab's blood out at the pool. And you imagine now this blood has been in the chariot for quite some time. It's coagulated to an extent, and there's going to be quite a bit of it. The man bled out here in this uh, chariot. So they began to wash this out, and this blood is washed out onto the ground. And there the dogs come, and they lick up that blood, just exactly as Elijah had prophesied was going to happen to him. But now we're going to see the fulfillment on, of course, Jezebel's going to be slain much later. And when she's slain, the dogs are going to eat her, as uh, was prophesied by the man of God. And we'll see Elijah's word that in Naboth's vineyard that the blood would be licked. That won't be fulfilled in Ahab himself, but it will be in his children. And if you remember at the end of chapter number 21, we saw that Ahab was sorry and he sat in sackcloth and ashes uh, at the word of the Lord. And God said, I won't bring this evil in his day, but in his children's. Now God's going to bring judgment for the death of Naboth and the blood will be licked up in the very vineyard that Ahab stole from him by murder and by death. But it's going to be in his son that that word is going to be fulfilled. So God has delivered this judgment upon Ahab. Now, verse 39 then. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house which he made and all the cities that he built are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So now he's noting here some of the great works that Ahab did. And you know, when you think about Ahab, you think about the evil, the wickedness, the rebellion. But in the flesh, he had many great works. As you see here, he had an ivory house, must have been a sight. He built many cities, all of the cities that he built, all of these mighty works in the flesh, but mighty works in the flesh do not equal a great king in the eyes of Almighty God. We know that in the eyes of God, Ahab and Jezebel, they were wicked to the uttermost, even the most wicked that ever had been, and yet mightily in the flesh, here he is, working out all these great works. Man likes to trust in the flesh and in all he does, when in reality, before God, none of those fleshly things are worth anything before the Lord. So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. So notice the word here, and you see this word often, uh, to sleep. Ahab slept with his fathers. I think it's very much worth noting here that he is sleeping in the sense that he will get up again. And I think that's always worth seeing. Certainly for Ahab's natural life, it would have been better for him if he had obeyed the word of God. He would not have had to face this judgment that he faced and died in the battle in the manner that he died. But that's never the end of it. There he is after this life, a resurrection and a judgment before Almighty God. 
and them that are undone and unbelieving and uh, rebellious towards God are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And it's that that ought to work fear. You know, there's been many righteous men and even at the hands of Ahab, righteous men and men of God and women of God were slaughtered for their belief in the Lord. They lost their life at a young age and even the Lord Jesus is going to be cut down at an early age, but they have hope of a better life after this one. Now to Ahab, he's going to die in the battle and he's going to be laid in the grave, but Ahab's going to stand in judgment one day, just as every man and every woman is, that's undone. The wickedness and the payment for sin doesn't end at the grave, but there will be a resurrection and a great white throne judgment, and all of those that's not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And that's that's all Ahab's got left to look forward to. Now, he has lived wickedly. He done these great works while he was here. Now Ahab's dead and gone. There is no more work. There's no more knowledge in the grave. Ahab's left a legacy of sin and ungodliness and all he's got left to look forward to is judgment and fiery indignation that'll devour the adversaries. You think about this life and all the consequences of disobedience towards God, they are nothing compared to what's coming after this life in the great white throne judgment when we behold God and his glory in body. So verse 41, now here, he's going to speak some about Jehoshaphat uh, from 41 to 49. And we'll read some here. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 30 and five years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 20 and five years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shehi. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. For the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he shewed and how he warred are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. And the remnant of the Sodomites which remained in the days of his father Asa he took out of the land. There was no king in Edom. A deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tharshish to go to Ophir for gold but they went not, for the ships were broken <coughs> at Ezai on Geber. Then said Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, unto Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with thy servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. So Jehoshaphat was a good king, one that feared God and uh, sought to please the Lord in his ways. But you see here how that he made peace with Israel and he went to war. He was in a place here that he had no business being in a league with Ahab. And certainly the Lord spared him here 
and mightily spared him in this battle. But going with those that are not of God is never a good idea. As he says in the New Testament, I believe you could link this with marriage as well as our affinity and alliances in this life that the people of God should not be unequally yoked with the unbeliever. And I believe that's still the case. The unbeliever is not interested in pleasing God and they will doubtless, as iron sharpeneth iron, they will pass down the thinking and the uh, desires of ungodliness upon those that are saved. They will not and they cannot be a positive influence unto people that are saved. Now, I realize you might turn that around and say, well, we'll be a positive influence unto them. We can be that by being a separated people unto God for his glory and honor. But when we make affinity and alliance with those that are unsaved, know this, as iron sharpeneth iron, they will cause us to think and to do things that aren't in the will of God. And that may not be that may not be well received, but I believe it's the truth. His alliance with Ahab got him to a place that he had no business being. So in verse number 50 now, And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead. So we've got a little glimpse into the kingdom of Judah. Remembering again, there's two kingdoms. Israel is split into two. The kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel. In Samaria, the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. So Ahab is now gone. And Ahaziah, his son, steps into the role as the king here after his death. Now Jezebel is still alive, and Ahaziah is going to step right into his father's shoes and continue down the same road. And you know, why wouldn't you expect that? <clears throat> if mama's wicked, and if daddy's wicked, and if that's what's been taught to the children, then would you not expect them to be wicked? If mama's sinful, and if daddy's sinful, are the children not going to be sinful? If mama hates the church, and if daddy hates the church, are the children not going to hate the church? They are by nature going to follow that way. And that's where mankind is. Those that would say, well, God's, it's up to man, and it's up to man's will. Well, here we are. We were born in sin and conceived in iniquity and God Almighty intervened on our behalf and delivered us out of that place by His great power. And without intervention from the outside, we are by nature going to follow in the pathway of sin and rebellion. And I go as far as to say that's where we were when God intervened. If you are indeed saved, God brought you off of the road of sin and rebellion. And so Ahaziah is going to do evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, 
who made Israel to sin. Now, Jeroboam is looking back all the way to the first king of Israel. Remember, and we've talked about this a few times, the kingdom split there under Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and Jeroboam was the king of the northern ten tribes. And when he became the king, he said, well, we can't let the people go to Jerusalem to worship like God commanded, because if they do, I'm afraid that their heart's going to be turned to serve Rehoboam, and they're going to leave me. Now, that was not going to be the case, because God rent the kingdom, and God gave those ten tribes to Jeroboam. They were his by the decree of God Almighty. But he's going to wickedly set up two golden calves and say, don't go to Jerusalem. You worship up here and you worship these gods and you serve them. And this is where we're going to offer sacrifices. And these are the days we're going to offer them. Don't go back to Jerusalem. Don't go to the temple. Don't serve God. Don't keep his word. We're going to do things this way. And he caused the majority of Israel to fall into idolatry with his claims. And here, following along in his footsteps, we see Ahab and we see Ahaziah. They're going this way, leading the people into sin. You know, here you find mothers, fathers, grandparents, aunts, and uncles in this very place that, yeah, they're their own person and they're making their own decision, but that decision influences a multitude underneath them. And Ahaziah is going to lead Israel to sin when he could have been a positive influence. He's going to be a negative one. And so often, family is a negative influence on the children. But thank God, thank God that his power is able to overcome that and bring salvation. If God was not able to overcome the influence of the world and evil, we'd have no hope of salvation. We'd be forever captive to sin and the devil. But God, by his power, is able to overcome every bit of that just as he did in those 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked to anger the Lord God of Israel according to all that his father had done. And you know, he'd done that now. You think about where you're at. Ahab just died. God told him that he was going to die. He told him how he was going to die. And he told him when he was going to die. And all of the prophets of Baal and all of the prophets of the groves, they prophesied the exact opposite. Their word was found to be a lie. It was proven a lie by what happened. And the word of God was proven to be the truth. And yet, he's going to turn and go after Baal anyway. Just as Belshazzar in the days of Daniel, God had turned Nebuchadnezzar to the truth made a difference in his life and established uh, the, the word of God as the God of all the land of Babylon in Nebuchadnezzar's day. And Nebuchadnezzar made a proclamation of that. And thou knewest all of this is what God said to Belshazzar. And yet he turned and followed after evil. Well, here 
They know. And yet Ahaziah is still going to turn and go after Baal. No different today. Today, the majority of people, they know about the word of God. They know that God said that there's a judgment. They know about sin and they know about hell and they know about the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and yet they continue to go after sin as natural brute beasts. i tell you what it is. It's the very nature of man to go into sin, to reject God and to go into sin. And they are, as God says here, provoking to anger the Lord God of Israel. No thought ever given to God any longer today. Man doesn't think about God. Ahaziah, he doesn't think about God. He's got no regard for the Lord, no regard for the word of the Lord and why it looks like we're going to get by with it and go right on in sin and in rebellion and nothing is ever going to happen. But God judged Ahab. God's going to judge Ahaziah, as we're going to see. And God's going to judge the entire world. Sin will find you out. God's judgment will find man out. So what's the call then? Come to the word of God. Believe the gospel and be saved. And that's the warning. And if, if we're not going to come to the word of God, we will be judged. We'll stop right there. We'll pick up next time in the first chapter of the second book of Kings. And there we'll see Elijah step back on the pages of scripture. We'll see him calling fire out of heaven <clears throat> as they come and seek for him. I hope the Lord blesses you. Thank you for your time and listening and pray for us.